0: welcome to sales talk for ceos i'm glad you're here i'll be interviewing ceos who have successfully scaled their b2b sales organization in each episode i'll start by uncovering the sales background of each ceo dig into the strategies they use to build their sales organization and wrap it up with what the future holds we'll cover the good the bad and the ugly of scaling a sales organization I'm your host, Alice Hyman. Excited for another episode of Sales Talk for CEOs. And today I have Doug Frazier from EnviroGuard, who has had his company for just about 30 years. So it's going to be interesting to find out how he started it and how he grew his sales. Welcome to the show, Doug.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Alice. I appreciate that.
0: Tell us a little bit about what EnviroGuard does.
1: Vargard is a compliance company and specializes in providing safety products into mission-criticals backup power sites, from data centers to utilities to telecommunications.
0: And you, I understand you provide the material that goes underneath batteries so that if there's any leakage, people won't be harmed.
1: That is correct.
0: Yeah, so um, that's pretty important stuff. So how on earth <laughs> did you get into this business? Tell us what you were doing right before you started the business and how you got the idea to start it.
1: Well, we were. I was in the backup power industry selling the batteries themselves, and we had several end users ask us for a solution. And there really wasn't a solution out there for the spill controls.
0: So you were actually out selling
1: Yes, I was. Batteries. At batteries, myself. With the, yeah. And then we hired it. We had about 10 people in Southern California team that we would go out and they would report into me to sell batteries.
0: Okay, great. So then when your customers kept asking you for these materials for safety and you didn't have them, what did you do?
1: Well, we the one of the reasons we decided to get into the industry is because we had there was one company but we could not get them to return our phone calls so i decided i have a background in uh, spill control and containment and compliance so i was very i made ours similar but different and was able to secure patents on my design.
0: Oh, wow. So you couldn't, you, the materials were available. You just couldn't procure them. And that's so you correct. thought, well, if I can't get them from them, I'll just make them myself. That's and uh, just interesting that you happen to have that background to do that. And then you patented the design.
1: That, that's correct.
0: So and... did you go right off on your own right away? Um, did you have a team? How did the business actually start?
1: Yeah, I started with a team and we started building a, a database of, both uh, customers and prospects, uh, pre-qualified. And uh, we we were set up as a woman-owned, so we were able to get into the purchasing departments and get their attention, so we get requests for proposal coming our way.
0: So you have a partner in crime then?
1: (laughs) Yes, my wife. I guess we just uh, celebrated our 45th anniversary, so...
0: Oh, congratulations. That's, Thank that's you. really awesome. So the two of you set out and said, okay, we can make these materials that are so badly needed. You had experience in it. You developed the patents, made it a woman owned business. So smart Correct. of you made it much easier, right. To the barriers to entry, especially in government and on um, these high profile places made it easier to get in.
1: That's exactly right. It, it opens the door, especially in procurement. When you get to the engineering community or people at the job sites, they don't really care as much, but the people in procurement surely do.
0: They do, especially in the big companies and municipalities and government, right? So it makes a difference. So you got the product. How long did it take you to get the product ready to go to market?
1: It took about a year and a half. And then we, of course, uh, have made changes, upgrades, and continuous improvement along the way, we became ISO 9001. And that has a whole culture that helped right. trans trans basically uh, helped us grow.
0: Very good. So in the beginning, when you got the product ready, um, you had obviously a lot of contract uh, contacts in the industry that you could go after who was doing the selling in the very beginning.
1: Well, we started with the inside sales team directed by myself of who to focus on. Then we would set up the appointments. I would go out and do uh, appointments. If I didn't know the answer to a question, I would put our subject matter experts from the manufacturers that we represented at the time, uh, we put them on the phone and so I would be there live and then we would uh, have the subject matter expert available to us.
0: Wow. And so you used a team approach from the beginning, it sounds like. You had oh, your inside not- salespeople out there finding and getting the appointments for you. You went out there, spoke to people, but you brought in those subject matter experts as needed.
1: Exactly. We, we've, of course, like all companies, we, I've identified our inside team people who are uh, farmers and then those who are hunters. And we had incentives for those salespeople to find new accounts and this type of thing. And we always paid in our industry, they pay on gross profit.
0: Okay. Very good. So there, here you go. You're, you've got your product launched and you're out there selling. And, um, what were some of the things that were challenging in the beginning when you were trying to grow your sales?
1: Well, in the beginning, uh, one was technology platforms. Uh, we barely, Mm -hmm. we didn't have the CRM. We had to develop it. We purchased us This is way before Salesforce was.
0: Right. This is 30 years ago, right? So, yeah.
1: so we used us. It's Sage. It's called Sage CRM, which was used to be called ACT, A-C-T, many years ago. Right. And uh, we would build, it was really a focus to build the database and have the ability to communicate with customers by title, yeah. by market segment.
0: Uh-huh yeah so that's helpful i mean back in i remember you know way back when we used lotus notes we didn't have any um crm of any kind and uh, of course we kept a lot of our notes on paper and we had our business cards piled up you know uh but uh when act and goldmine entered the scene we were able to up level a little bit right and uh, start putting everything into the computers which was great so it's been a long time, 30 years, as you grew. What, what did you decide to do to grow your sales team in order to grow your sales? Um, sounds like at first you were directing all the sales activity and you were doing most of the selling, although you had quite a bit of support. Um, at what point did you decide you might need to hire a sales leader or some more uh, people to do the selling besides yourself?
1: Well, that, that came fairly quickly and uh, is an important factor. In that replacing myself in some capacity is the difference between just doing the sales and managing the sales. Right. And, and that is we finding the right people. and we now have a team in place that does that. Um, um, very happy and we got uh, one of our they've been with me uh, one person 22 years now.
0: Oh my goodness! That is a long time for a salesperson to mm-hmm. to be with
1: a company. We, she, she is fantastic. So, and we have, of course, a great team of people in sales. A national sales manager out of Seattle. We we my people are remote. Most of them are remote, and they travel as needed. I was traveling myself fifteen days a month, uh, to because our product is national. It's, a, yeah. it's not just regional.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, I think um, a lot of salespeople are getting back to traveling. Did you have any pause in traveling during COVID?
1: Uh, yes, we did. Um, and we still had critical people we had to go see and follow COVID procedures during travel and at the end user. Uh, but uh, we I mentioned earlier we have a complex selling process so it's important for us to educate uh, end users and then our distributors we have distributor model and then we have OEMs that we go to market through so yeah, but yes we've gone we adopt and brought on Microsoft 365 and basically put a in, in calendar to set appointments all this yeah. technology digital platforms so we can communicate with customers on a regular basis
0: yeah so growing sales does um, require us to bring on some technology although today sometimes I think we have almost too much but um, some basic things like you mentioned CRM um, a calendar program so that we can, Get make it easy for people to schedule time with us, um, and these these are kinds of important things. And and Microsoft or some something like that has a lot of tools to help sellers be more efficient. So thinking about how you grew sales over these years to where they are today, um, I you know m- most companies this when the founder is doing most of the selling, at some point they end up hiring a couple salespeople and then managing those salespeople. And then replacing themselves as managers. So, you know, about how far along were you before you started hiring some salespeople? And then at what point did you hire a sales manager so that you could focus more on your company, even though you still had a role in sales, but you really had your sales kind of going on its own?
1: The first three years I was doing a lot of the direct selling. We had a couple of people, but the key is building that team uh took about five years to build mm. it correctly and if you include the training and you know zip codes and the regions because we as i said earlier we have all you know uh across the whole us and canada to cover so uh, we setting up distributors us as a manufacturer made the most sense who they in fact have a sales manager they, in fact, have a sales force. Yeah. So it's it's most cost effective to let them go to market.
0: Right. So building a channel, it came clear to you that you would need to use channel selling if you wanted to continue to scale your sales.
1: 100%. Adding more people direct is not didn't make a lot of sense. Especially of those...
0: with the vast territory they were covering, which is the entire United States, correct?
1: Exactly right. And they have relationships with... End users. And so we would go and go on joint appointments with them, show them how to sell compliance products. So right. we would train them how to sell yeah. compliance products.
0: What were some of the challenges you found in the channel? You know, you decided it was a great direction to go, but um, all channel partners are not the same, right? <laughs> that
1: is correct. There's only about 10 of them, just like hunters and farmers. Some are just, if if the customer, end user asks them for a, a product such as ours they they will call us and get a price but there is only 10 percent of those if you will distributors that in fact are hunters and that will yeah. bring in new new products so the challenge was getting more people to hunt and building loyalty and retention
0: So what were some of the things that you were able to do to build that loyalty and retention?
1: Well, one of the things we did came from the end users is uh, we basically created a program like many mechanics have. You walk in, it says ASC certified. We actually uh, created a factory installer training program with badges, the online videos, and this type of thing so that they felt like they were quote unquote partners and certified. And we ended up with about 1200 installers so far nationwide. And we put them through a course once a year, if there's any changes and the end users love that.
0: Oh my gosh. I think that is genius because I know so many companies that struggle with their channel, you know, they have different types of channels, but, um, I think that putting a program in place where they know that they're going to earn a certification and they're going to get updated every year will absolutely make them more loyal. And it proved to be true for you.
1: Absolutely. And then there's, there's, of course, we we're looking at giving that whole program a reboot and we used to have two types of factory installer training one and two. Now we're in, in, factory one through four so we have different training so it's not stale and we we try to update our videos and content so it's not the same old thing the other thing we do is give them badges that they wear at the sites Uh that helps our brand and uh then most because a lot of people they've been asked by fire departments how do you know what you're doing are you trained in this oh we're factory trained
0: sure yeah yeah you probably people probably don't realize um places that have to store energy need these really big batteries and they are hazardous, I mean, in many ways. And fire departments have probably had to go and put out many fires or mop up from messes and uh, having your product there instead of that is, is really the way to go.
1: You're 100% correct. In fact, our product keeping the acid from moving throughout the room or facility, or going downstairs because our product is liquid tight, um, saves tens of thousands of dollars in cleanup costs.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, those who are first responders when something like that happens probably really appreciate when they show up on the scene and your material is soaking up the the hazardous material.
1: Now, hundred. That's exactly right. It not only soaks it up, reduces the liquid. But it, it actually um, neutralizes that pH so it's less hazardous to clean up, thus reducing the cost of disposal actually reduces the cost.
0: Wow. Gosh, so you've got these um, this channel that really loves your product and knows what it can do. They're certified, they're trained every year, so they're loyal to you and they're helping you grow the business.
1: Exactly. And the people who are factory installer training, we have lead generation. We have leads that come in from our website. from We try to feed those leads back to partners. We call them now we're calling these people. They're no longer a distributor. They're a partner, ch- channel partner. So we feed business back to them if we get in opportunities that to go out and follow up on inquiries in Tennessee and Texas and different places. That we aren't going to go out and service directly, but we do
0: right.
1: we do have people that'll travel and both train and go meet with customers on site jo- with joint appointments.
0: Yeah, so it's good because they're now acting like you did when you first started the company. You you know, we some leads generated, they send someone out to the site to meet, but then the subject matter experts from your company come in to help them to close the deal.
1: That's 100 percent. And sometimes we don't see any purchase order and sometimes it'll come 12 months later and the sales cycle goes from 30 days, 90 days up to 12 months in some of these bigger projects. But, you know, we've been audited and inspected by customers like you wouldn't believe. And uh, for compliance to ourselves, uh, how we operate and make sure everything's done You know, in the warranties, we've extended warranties. We've made two or three product improvements and extended our warranties. So it's always an effort, uh, you know.
0: Well, I'm sure your partners appreciate that, that you're ever evolving and improving your products. And that's another thing that keeps them loyal.
1: That is correct.
0: Yeah. All right. So you've got this great channel now and you've got, sounds like instead of direct sellers, you have channel managers now. Is that right?
1: Yes, that is one hundred percent. There, we just basically they they each have thirty to fifty ch- uh, customers that, in fact, have oh, 10 to twenty five salespeople per region. So we could have up to two hundred and fifty uh, uh, people selling in one region that's managed by our inside channel managers.
0: Yeah. I, I'd love to hear some of your advice on managing the channel because I have several clients right now who are struggling, I think, you know, really with with the channel, finding great partners and convincing them, you know, to become partners, right? And then retaining them and really helping them grow so what's what are some other things that you've done i know the certifications are really important that you mentioned but what are some of the other things you do to attract partners to you really good partners and then to keep those relationships going and and to make them feel good so that they want to be your partner
1: well we have a culture within our company that we get back to everyone quickly with quotations we built a portal sort of like salesforce but we built a portal in 2007 that allows them to go into our portal and do their own quoting 24 oh. seven. And that's a big uh, differentiator from other people in the market. The other thing is we participate in open houses and trade shows uh, with them. We'll send somebody in the booth. Uh, we'll actually do. It's a true channel support model. And the, uh, They really appreciate when we send leads and business their way, because many times, even though they might not sell our product, they might sell their product, which is the battery systems.
0: Yeah. So, right. It's, I mean, you're helping them to sell more, period, More Period. more of the things that they also, you know, sell from maybe other vendors or that they manufacture themselves as well as your product.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: And right. Who doesn't want to increase their sales when you have a partner that's helping you increase your overall sales? It's something that you really like.
1: That's correct.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like with keeping your partners happy, that partners want to come and work with you because you have the certification process. You have annual training for them. You show up on site when they need you with their customers. You go to trade shows with them. And yes. you help them improve their own selling.
1: Yes. And we'll even sponsor golfing events that they're having or open houses that they have. They have their own self-promotion. We try to plug ourselves in as a partner uh, with them when they do their own self-promotion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that the, all of those things are, for our listeners, great things that you can add to your channel program if you don't already have them. And I think the partners really know when they're being supported and and truly appreciate it. Um, You've had some partners a long time. So tell us about some of the longevity of your partners.
1: Well, we have uh, almost the whole since we've started this. And we've always priced our product pricing strategy to end users to allow partners to come in beneath a certain price level and make their margin because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. They they want to be able to mark it up and quote unquote, because uh, I, I said earlier, I think that most of the industry we're in pays on gross profit. So we had to build our pricing structure. And that's been a struggle with cost, obviously, in the last two or three years going up, up to 40%.
0: Yeah, well, costs have certainly increased, and yeah, you're right. When you sell through the channel, you have to make it profitable for them, so that can be a struggle sometimes. But sounds like you've got it down now.
1: Well, so yeah, we're, it's a it's a team effort because educating them that this price increase there's almost zero profit that we're putting. We're just trying to maintain what we originally had as far as profit. We're just passing along hard costs, right? And, and, and that's hard for someone to understand. They think, oh, we think we're going to make extra money. No, not really. And if there's price decreases, which we haven't yet seen because we yeah. deal with plastics, petroleum, and those, it, it'll probably take a few years for those to normalize.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The The recent spike in the cost of everything, right? Yeah. That's and you've right. got to pass it on. There's nothing else you can do. So um, you know it's it's hard to sometimes for them to understand, but it sounds like you've got a a good way of explaining to them and then um, still allowing them to make the profit margins that they need.
1: It, we We try, but no one likes it. No one likes no. it. The <laughs> and the most important thing we found is many, many of our customers are more engineering based understanding. It, they they really it's hard for them to understand how to spin it to the end user uh, with a middleman. We can very easily uh, spin, and understand, and explain it, but it's very difficult for a middleman, if you will. Yeah. To to and if they don't do that, we don't expect them to take a lesser margin. No. So.
0: Yeah. Well, the price increases have hit everyone and it's just something that we are going to continue to deal with, unfortunately, but, um, it's something we all have to learn how to do. Um, so, you know, you've been doing this for 30 years, you've had a lot of success and I'd just like to leave our listeners with some words of advice from you growing your company and um, getting it to a point where, Hey, someday you might actually see that you're going to (laughs) exit because you've really grown something wonderful.
1: Yeah, most definitely. And, and my key team people, the ideal scenario is my team to continue and take over and become equity position in, in the company we have. Um, I've had offers to purchase the company over and over, but I, I refer to it as like a pie in the oven. It's just not quite done yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so that means that we haven't got all the market share or we have something not working like, There's a difference between biz dev and and channel management, and they're distinct and unique and compensation should be different, everything of that. So once the pieces are where it's on autopilot, I can step back and let my existing team members um, take over the reins, if you will.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Doug. I really appreciate it. Um, appreciate you sharing your journey with us and talking to us about how you've done such a great job with your channel.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, and the the service you've provided over the years and the training that you do, and uh, it's it's all about continuous improvement and training, training. And then when you're all done, you think you've got it all done. You train some more. So.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again. And um, we will talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Alice. You take care. Thanks for tuning in to sales talk for CEOs. You can find me at alicehyman.com. Be sure and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know that you heard the show. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, write a review, and share the show with another CEO.